You can open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Some of you have been around and think, oh, that's an interesting chapter. Where are we going here? Um, how many of you are familiar with the website, the Babylon Bee? Do any of you know what the Babylon, okay, some of you are. Babylon Bee is a, is a satirical website that uh, satirizes all things Christian. And uh, the editors are very clever and they're very funny, but they're also very respectful in the way they do that. And I particularly enjoy reading the articles that they write about charismatics, charismatic people like us. Um, some of the recent articles, they had this article about a new Bible that was coming out that had blank pages so that you can put down your own revelation in, in the Bible that you're receiving prophetically. Uh, they had one about a, a prominent pastor who was going to build a wall to keep charismatics out of his church and actually wanted to charge charismatic groups for building the wall. Uh, they had a great story. You know those um, air inflatable things that attract people's attention to... Uh, uh, car places. This, this guy, crazy Abe, he found uh, this charismatic kid who just, whose wild spastic movements uh, were so good that he, that he used him as the person to kind of attract people into his car lot. Uh, but the one that really drew my attention for today's purposes was this one. It was said, charismatic tired of clarifying, she's not one of those weird charismatics. The story goes like this, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Local Pentecostal Amy Denton is reportedly tired of clarifying that she's not one of those weird charismatics. Anytime someone finds out she is Pentecostal, sources close to her confirmed Wednesday. Whenever Denton has had a conversation with a Christian from a different background, she immediately must clarify that she does not participate in snake handling, ribbon dancing, spirit slayings, holy laughter, or any of those other bizarre rituals that have characterized much of the extremes of the charismatic movement. I don't even own a shofar, an exasperated Denton recently told a reformed sister in Christ, who would ask her all about the strange fire that goes on in her church. We, we just believe that all the gifts of the Spirit mentioned in the New Testament are active and available today. Denton went on to record, to, uh, on record to state that she does not watch the Trinity Broadcasting Network. At publishing time, Denton admitted that she does raise her hands during the worship time. Now, the reason this caught my attention is because in, in Sovereign Grace's history, we have always been charismatic, or uh, we now use the word continuationist. Uh, Sovereign Grace has always been charismatic and always believed that all the spiritual gifts are to be active and represented in the church today. Uh, but I think we too would want to clarify that when we say charismatic, we're not one of those weird charismatics. I think it would be very wise of us to distance from some of the bizarre things that actually goes on and to explain to people, we're not that, that is not what we want to be. But it does raise this question, what kind of charismatics are we? What kind of continuationists are we? What do we actually want to be? And my hope in, in this message is to provoke you to just maybe begin again uh, thinking and talking about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts in a way that is both theologically clear and practically engaged. 
when we talk about these gifts, we want to be theologically clear. We want to be, we want to be well-grounded in Scripture. We want to be theologically clear. But we also want to be practically engaged. We just want to have a good theology of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, but we want to have a strong practice of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. So here is my my goal, my hope, my prayer uh, for us today, and it is this, that as individuals, each of you, and as a local church corporately, that you are daily, every day, experiencing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that makes a difference in your gospel living and in your gospel witness. That it wouldn't be something that's occasional. It would be something that would be daily. It wouldn't be something that was behind the scenes, but it would actually make a difference in your gospel living and your gospel witness. And to that end, I just want to look at one verse today. And I want to do three things with that verse. I want to unpack the verse itself. And then I want to ask a couple questions of the verse. I want to ask why Paul tells us what he's going to tell us here in a minute, and I'm going to ask how we can then practically be obedient to what Scripture calls us here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Paul, uh, starting in chapter 12, began talking about spiritual gifts as a corrective towards the Corinthians, and then chapter 13, the famous chapter about love, and then chapter 14, uh, he's going to expound more on prophecy and the gift of tongues. And he begins by saying this, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, Holy Spirit, we, I, would be a great fool to uh, approach speaking of you and the gifts that you give to the church without first and foremost asking you right now to come and to help me and help us as, as a church. Um, Holy Spirit, we, we need you right now because we want to honor you as the third person of the Godhead. We want to receive from you everything that you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, have, have given and desire for us. And so I, I pray no matter where we are on the spectrum, no matter what our experiences have been in the past, uh, that you would just help us to, to look at afresh at um, spiritual gifts and how they fit into the day-to-day life of Christians and local churches and inspire us to pursue love and inspire us to eagerly desire these gifts. We ask those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, three things. I want to look at the verse, then I want to ask two questions, why and how. So first, let's, let's look at the verse. And uh, Paul has just come off chapter uh, 13, where he's, he's, he's spoken about love and unpacked what Christian love looks like. And he begins by telling us, pursue love. Pursue love. And the Greek word there is an interesting one. It's, it's a word that means hot pursuit. Hot pursuit after love and all. In other words, go all out as believers in loving one another. Pursue love for one another. And uh, this was important for Corinthians because the Corinthians saw spiritual gifts as being the sign of true spirituality. That if you were really a spiritual person, it was, it was manifested in the fact that you had all of these spiritual gifts. How many of you ever Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts? I was, I was a Boy Scout. Well, you remember with Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, um, one of the things you had on your uniform was this merit badge sash. 
Do you remember that? It was a little sash. And then as you got merit badges and things like camping or cooking or whatever the case may be, you could sew a merit badge on the staff, uh, on your, on your, your, your thing. And then as, you were, as you'd walk around, then everybody could see, oh, yeah, he's... He does camping, he does cooking or dentistry or whatever. Uh, there actually is a merit badge for dentistry, which I, I can't figure out what 13-year-old boys do to earn that one. But the Corinthians, they wore their spiritual gifts like merit badges. They wore them around saying, oh, look how spiritual, look how special I am because I have this gift or I have that gift or, I, or, or, or not this other gift. And, and Paul here is correcting that perspective in no uncertain terms. Uh, the true sign of Christian spirituality, the one true sign of Christian spirituality is love for others. Nothing is more important, Paul is, is saying here, than loving for others. Uh, and that the, the practice of spiritual gifts is only so that we can better love others. In fact, he goes so far as to say this, that if you practice spiritual gifts without love, not only do you gain nothing, it gets you nowhere, but startlingly he says, you are nothing. To be that kind of person, it cuts to the very core of who, have you, who you are in, in your very being. You are nothing. David Pryor says in his commentary, I may be successful, I may get results, I may be admired, appreciated, and applauded, but as far as God and eternity concerned, I am nothing. And so Paul begins this next discussion about spiritual gifts uh, with a corrective uh, this is what is really important. This is what it really means to be spiritual. And as a result, pursue love. Christians, pursue love. That, that's the first priority. So most importantly, pursue love. But then he says, and earnestly desire spiritual gift. So, th so this isn't an either or. Uh, Paul isn't saying, look, pursue love and don't worry about spiritual gifts. They're not that important. Forget about spiritual gifts. Love is the only thing that's mattered. That's not what he's saying. Neither would he, would he say, now look, what you really want to have is spiritual gifts, but forget about love. That's not important. Paul, Paul, Paul is urging us to both. Now, love's the priority. Love's the priority because love assures that our earnest desire for spiritual gifts will be rightly motivated. That if, that if we start by pursuing love, that our use of spiritual gifts will, will fall into line because our highest motivation is to love others. But at no time, either in Corinthians or anywhere else in any of his epistles, does Paul ever denigrate spiritual gifts, ever. Because those spiritual gifts are given to the church as a way to love each other. Uh, they're given to the, to the church as a way to serve each other. So he says, not just desire, but earnestly desire. The, the New International Version says, eagerly desire. And, and not just merely desire, but that desire should lead us to pursue. And so the idea here is not only eagerly desire gifts, but pursue them and pursue them with, with sincerity and pursue them with intensity. In other words, we're not to be half-hearted 
about this desire or pursuit of spiritual gifts. We're not to have a take it or leave it attitude when it comes to this pursuit of spiritual gifts. And then he ends this one short verse by saying, especially that you may prophesy. Now, this message isn't about prophecy, but let me just comment why he says that. In context here, he's contrasting prophecy and, and the public gift of tongues. And he wants the Corinthians to emphasize prophecy because of intelligibility. Because prophecy is understandable to the average person that is there. Uh, but he also wants to pursue because of the effect, the important effect that prophecy has on the local church. So later on in the passage, he says the prophecy is important for upbuilding. Some uh, translations say for, for edifying or for strengthening. And, and so prophecy is especially important because it strengthens our faith when God speaks to us uh, directly as, as a local church, uh, our faith is, is strengthened by the things that God is, is saying to us. Uh, it's for encouragement or exhortation uh, because the reality is life in a fallen world can be discouraging at times, uh, can it? And, and we need uh, encouragement in our lives. And sometimes we need it to be prodded on to action. We need, we need a little push to move us on to action. And then the last thing is for, for consolation. Because, again, living in a fallen world, things sometimes get hard, uh, don't they? They sometimes get difficult. And so we need reassurance. We just need that word from God that says things are, are going to be okay. So that's the verse. Very simple, very direct. Pursue love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And by the way, note, interestingly, uh, that it seems like all Christians are invited to desire this gift of, of prophecy. It's an open invitation to all of us. So that, that's the simple verse itself. And I want to spend the rest of my time just asking those two questions. Why, why does Paul say this? Why, why does Paul speak to us in this way? Uh, it would be easy to think, given that, both in their day and in ours, actually, that spiritual gifts can be a bit controversial, uh, that oftentimes spiritual gifts can be misused uh, in the context of the local church, wouldn't it just be easier to neglect them? Wouldn't it just be easier to say, hey, look, it's just not worth it. Let's just kind of, you know, make spiritual gifts like the crazy uncle that we, that we don't bring out in public at times uh, and, and neglect them. So why does Paul not take that tact, but instead say eagerly, earnestly, desire, go after those gifts? Why is Paul, why is Paul saying that? Well, uh, the reason he says it is, be is because we have a mission mandate. We're a people called to, to mission, and we need the Holy Spirit's empowering presence in our lives to fulfill the mission that we've been mandated to. Not only to fulfill the mission inside the church, but to fulfill the mission outside to the church, to a, to a lost and dying world. It is the Spirit's empowering presence with Christians that enables us and gifts us to minister to one another and minister to the lost in a way that fulfills the mission mandate that we have been given. And so uh, they're important to fulfill the mandate. But let me just give you four reasons why. The first of all is this. Did you notice this, this is a command, it isn't a suggestion. 
Paul, does, Paul doesn't say here, now, you might want to consider exploring this spiritual gift thing. You know, if, if, if things are going well and you're open to it, maybe one time, sometime. No, he doesn't say that. He, he, he gives it, it's a command here. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. He, he, he's, he's not suggesting, he's telling us. And he's telling us for several reasons. The first of all is this. Spiritual gifts build up the church. Spiritual gifts, properly practiced, practiced in love, build up or strengthen local churches. Uh, in fact, throughout Paul's argument in chapter 14, he says time and time again that the important thing about spiritual gifts, any spiritual gifts, is that the result of their use be that the church be built up, that the church be strengthened. So we see there in verse 3, they're for upbuilding. We see in verse 4, the one who prophesies builds up the church. We see in verse 5, so that the church may be built up. We see in verse 12, strive to excel in building up the church. And as Paul is summarizing or coming to the end of this entire chapter in uh, 14 verse 26, he says, let all things be done for building up. So one of the reasons he commands us to do this is because he wants local churches to be built up, to be strengthened. And one of the ways that God has provided that that could happen is through spiritual gifts. Uh, the second reason we want to practice spiritual gifts is because they glorify God. Uh, they say something about God that, that brings glory to God. Uh, in another passage on spiritual gifts in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, Peter says this about gifts, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God, and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies, in order that, so here is his reason for Peter commanding these things, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him being glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, uh, you're, you're well taught. You know this. When we talk about glorifying God, we're not talking about adding to his glory or making him more glorious in any way. Uh, that, that's impossible. We glorify God in our lives when we say or do things that are true about him. That, that when our actions say what's true about God, when our speech says what's true about God, when our actually very thoughts and motives say what is true about God. Spiritual gifts practiced in love say something about the giver of those gifts. Spiritual gifts practiced in love say something about God. Uh, they speak to his goodness. They speak to his love for his people. Uh, they speak to his shepherding care for his people. Uh, they speak to his power towards his, his, his people. Spiritual gift tells us that he sees. Sees our troubles. Sees our struggles. Sees our hurts. Sees our needs. Sees when we need to be prodded. And that he then comes and, and meets those needs through his body through giving spiritual gifts to the body. And when that happens, we, we ought to be thinking, oh, cool gifts. We ought to be thinking, God is so good to us to give us these, these gifts. May he receive glory when we see these gifts experienced because we know that he's doing them to bless and strengthen and build up and care for his people.
So they glorify God, they build up the church, and then uh, lastly, there's signs of Jesus' active presence and ministry among us. Uh, we're all familiar in Matthew chapter 16, 18, where Jesus says, I will build my church. And spiritual gifts, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the giving of spiritual gifts is a conspicuous demonstration. It's a conspicuous proof of the fact that Jesus is right now building his church. One of the ways that Jesus is building his church is by sending the Holy Spirit to his church and the Holy Spirit gifting uh, men and women in the church in order that the church might be built up. I love what Bruce Milne says in his uh, Systematic Theology. He says it this way, the deepest word which can be spoken about Christian ministry in all of its forms is that it is nothing other than the ministry of the risen Lord among and through his people. And so, the reason that Paul urges us, the why of this command is he, he wants to see the church built up and strengthened. He wants to see God glorified. And he realizes that, that Jesus is building his church. One of the ways that he's demonstrating and fulfilling this promise that he's given us to build his church is through spiritual gifts. So that's the why. That's why Paul commands us to earnestly, eagerly desire these gifts. Um, now the question then comes down to, well, how? How, how, how do we do this? And um, my, my overarching recommendation when I speak about this, what I, what I say is that I, I think we should do it with consistent, uh, intelligent, and passionate pursuit of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. Uh, I want us to be consistent I recognize it's very easy to preach a message on the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts uh, or evangelism or anything else and, and maybe get fired up for a week or so and then, you know, busyness and things happen and, and then pretty soon we just realize, wow, for a couple of weeks we had prophecies and people were speaking in tongues, getting healed and all these great things were happening and, and then, oh, wait a minute, what happened? Uh, so consistency, intelligently, and that, that's what gets back to what I said at the beginning, that we want to be theologically clear. Um, I, I, I think, sadly, uh, a lot of times uh, charismatics get weird because they get disconnected from Scripture. They get, they get disconnected from theology. And, and then passionately, because Paul uses words like eager or earnest. Um, so that's overarching. But, but two points under this. First, we, we want to do it with perspective and, and proportionality. And then second, we want to do it with passion and pursuit. So perspective and portionality. Um, I think it's really important that we always think of spiritual gifts in the larger context of our entire relationship with the Holy Spirit, uh, not disconnected from that, and in our understanding of uh, our relationship with the local church. That, that we understand how those gifts are intended to function in the context of healthy local churches, not just as individual endowments. Uh, again, the Corinthians thought, well, the, what's really important is what I have, my endowment. And Paul has been saying, no, what's really important is these things are to happen in the context of the local church. They're for building up local churches. Uh, that, that's their entire purpose. So, uh, several sub-points under perspective and portionality. First of all, that we look at our relationship with the Holy Spirit as, as lifestyle versus event-driven. Uh, 
Uh, some of you have been around for a long time, uh, would, would recognize that often our, our experience of the Holy Spirit was event-driven. You know, there's this, you got to get baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then, you know, every once in a while, uh, you'd have another time where, come on, let's pray to receive the Holy Spirit again. Um, or, you know, you're going to meeting, well, then we need the Holy Spirit. Um, but the whole tenor of Scripture is that we live our lives with a daily dependence upon uh, the Holy Spirit that includes gifts, but, it, but it's not limited to gifts. It's not limited to ministry. It's, it's, it's an experience, a daily dependence on the Holy Spirit for everything in our lives. Uh, we want to have churches full of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and experience that corresponding joy that comes, that, that, the passion that comes, the dynamism that comes, that empowerment that comes, and that goes with it. That's why Paul commands us in Ephesians chapter 5, 18, and do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, and literally continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, our experience of the Holy Spirit is to be lifestyle driven. It's not just jumping from one Holy Spirit event to another. Uh, the way Gordon Fee says it is always be so. Uh, always be so, continually being filled. Always be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Make it a daily activity. Make it something that, that you're daily depending upon. So although we believe that you receive the fullness of the Spirit at conversion, that when we're converted, we receive everything that we need of the, uh, of, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, complete access to all of the Spirit's graces and gifts uh, in our lives. Uh, we receive that at conversion, but that we can often access or, or, or experience the, f the fullness of the Spirit at different times throughout our lives. Uh, D.A. Carson said this really well in his book, Showing the Spirit. He said, although I find no biblical support for a second blessing theology, I do find support for a second, third, fourth, or fifth blessing theology. Although I think it extremely dangerous to pursue a second blessing attested by tongues, I think it is no less dangerous not to pant after God at all and to be satisfied with a merely creedal Christianity that's kosher but complacent, orthodox but ossified, sound but soundly asleep. We want to be people who every day get up and first thing in the morning, this has been my practice for years, uh, when I finish praying, the last thing I'm praying, that the Holy Spirit would just fill me afresh and empower me for everything that, that he's called me to that day. We need to be, I want to be, I know you want to be, daily dependent upon the Holy Spirit and not just thinking of him in terms of, of certain events that you know, happen spread out sometime throughout time. So lifestyle versus uh, event-driven. Uh, the second thing I think we need to do is to make sure that we're celebrating the Holy Spirit's broad work. Celebrating the Holy Spirit's broad work. Uh, we must be aware as charismatic churches of having a one-dimensional understanding of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think sadly that, that's the problem of many churches that, that call themselves charismatic. Uh, their understanding of the Holy Spirit is limited to a few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When the Holy Spirit is so much more to us, we, we, we don't want to be one-dimensional in our understanding of the Spirit. We want to understand that the Holy Spirit is constantly working in the Christian's lives, in us, all around us, um, 
and, and, and daily connecting the Spirit's work to the gospel work that's happening all around us. Um, there's an interesting passage in Genesis chapter 28. Uh, Remember Jacob's ladder, the story of Jacob, and he runs away and uh, he sleeps on this rock and he has this dream where angels are coming up and down uh, the ladder and uh, God speaks to him at that point. But this is, this is what he said when he woke up. Surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. We, we don't want to be a place where the Lord's all around us and we're not recognizing what he's doing. Uh, Jane and I had an interesting experience this year. Uh, we have a daughter who's uh, married and uh, lives in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is about four hours from Charlotte to drive over the mountains. And we're going to visit one time and um, there's a, a tunnel at one point. Uh, there's a tunnel that goes through the mountain. And so um, as we're almost in Knoxville, I just started thinking, I don't remember going through the tunnel. And so it was just, it was the oddest. And so I, I leaned over to Jane and said, this is so weird. I don't remember going through the tunnel. And she said, you know, I don't remember going through the tunnel either. And I could hear the Twilight Zone music kind of, you know, coming on in the background. It, it, was, it was just so weird. And so I remember on the way home, we said, all right, we're going to look and make sure that the tunnel is actually still there. And so on the drive home, uh, we looked at, oh, man, the tunnel's there. We must have gone through it. But we, uh, and the point is, you know, sometimes in life we can just be so preoccupied. You know, maybe I was just staring at Jane thinking how beautiful she is or she was saying something interesting and I just couldn't take my mind off her. But I went through the tunnel and I didn't realize we went through the tunnel. Well, you know what? Sometimes we can go through life and, re- and not realize the Holy Spirit is at work all around us all the time. Uh, we want to recognize his broad work. We want to recognize, just some examples, we want to recognize the miracle of regeneration. That if you're here today and you're saved, you have had a miraculous experience with the Holy Spirit where he took you from being dead in your trespasses and sin, hostile to God, unaware, unable to believe the gospel, and gave you gifts of repentance and faith, caused you to be born again um, so that you might believe and become a, a, a Christian. You've had that miraculous experience with the Holy Spirit. And anytime anybody gets saved, there have the Holy Spirit is at work uh, around you. Paul says, in Titus 3, uh, 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So every one of us, um, in that sense, we, we've, if, if you're a Christian here today, you have had a miraculous encounter with uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the blessing of illumination um, in, in both, you know, reading your Bibles and and hearing sermons. You know, why is it that you think that you understand what it is that your Bible says? Or why do you understand when Devin or Larry or others get up here and preach? Why is it that, you ever had that experience where the light just goes on and you say, oh, I get it. I understand it. That's the Holy Spirit working all around you. Uh, John 13, 16, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so the things that you understand, the things that you get about Christianity, when you're reading your Bible, when you're hearing sermons, that's the Holy Spirit uh, being at work all around you. And then just the power for holiness, uh, the power, the ability to grow and mature, uh, to not be what you were a week ago or a year ago or five years ago or 20 years ago, uh, to have changed. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, etc., etc., uh, those are spectacular manifestations of the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, if you, if you want to know why, why you've grown, why you've changed, it's because the Holy Spirit has been at work all around you. So if you think about it in those terms, not only the, the miracle of regeneration that happens once in your life, but every day, just illumination, understanding, reading your Bible, hearing sermons, uh, growing, being convicted of sin, having the power to change, all of those things, uh, th- that's the Holy Spirit at work all around you, his, his broad work. And so we want to make sure we're, we're aware that the Holy Spirit is working broadly. Uh, we want to make sure that we are celebrating the Spirit's broad gifts. Um, our, our continuationist or charismatic bona fides aren't every once in a while we have a prophecy on Sunday or you privately speak in tongues at home. Uh, the, the so-called miraculous or spectacular or sign gifts of 1 Corinthians 12. Um, they are to be practiced and they are to be pursued. Um, and they are largely actually what sets apart continuationists from cessationists. Those believe that these gifts don't exist anymore. But we, we want to make sure in, in Sovereign Grace churches that we aren't emphasizing those gifts to the exclusion of all of the other gifts uh, like leadership, like mercy, like serving, like giving, uh, like hospitality. Uh, there, there's actually five different gift lists uh, in, in Scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Uh, there's overlap in the, in the list. There's, none of the lists are exhaustive. There might even be spiritual gifts that aren't listed anywhere in, in Scripture. Nobody's really, a, the attempt uh, of the authors of Scripture isn't to say, now I'm going to give you a list of all of this, uh, this, the spiritual gifts. So we, we want people to be aware of the many ways. W- when there are people here on Sunday morning, you may not know this, but, but these, these, all of this didn't just magically appear when you showed up. People came here. They set up the chairs. They set up all of this. They, 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 set, they, they came to serve. Um, you all are a generous church. Um, God is working in you uh, in, 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 in just gifts of giving and serving and, and leadership and in a variety of other ways. And so we, we want to be aware of not only the Spirit's broad gifts, but His broad work. And one of the things that does is it makes the Holy Spirit more familiar to us. It, it makes the, the person of the Holy Spirit not seem so strange when, when maybe a gift like prophecy or a gift of tongues or healing or whatever the case may be. Uh, happens. In other words, when we live a life that's daily dependent upon the Holy Spirit and our eyes are open to the fact that he's working all around us, um, some of these gifts, they, they, the Holy Spirit and gifts don't seem so strange to us anymore. The Holy Spirit is, is a familiar friend, a familiar companion to us uh, throughout our, our lives. Uh, so um, lifestyle versus event, um, broad gifts, uh, broad work. And then one of the things that uh, we're really passionate about in Holy Spirit, and I know your pastors are too, is even when we're thinking about spiritual gifts and, and their use on Sunday mornings in particular, <clears throat> that in Sovereign Grace churches that we always keep the primacy of preaching. We want to make sure that we keep the primacy of preaching. 
We want to be careful that as charismatics, and, and again, this, this can be the, the mistake of many charismatic churches, is that we don't overemphasize the so-called spectacular work of the Spirit in relationship to the work of the Word of God. Uh, the Spirit will often sovereignly interject himself into a meeting and come and, and he'll bless us with spiritual gifts for building us up and, and we want to desire that. But the, those gifts are not a replacement for the word preached and read and prayed and it can never supplant the word as number one in our values. It must never supplant preaching as number one in our values. And I have nothing for con but condemnation, commendation, sorry, for Larry and for Devin in this area. I know these are men that eagerly desire spiritual gifts. I think you're going to do a Holy Spirit class coming up here. Okay. And, and want you to practice these things. But I, I can guarantee you this. There's one thing you can count on every Sunday morning when you come here. Uh, that uh, one of these men or, bo or both will have been spending the week seeking God, seeking the Holy Spirit to help them to understand God's word and, and prepare sermons and unpack the scripture and apply the scripture to your lives in a way that's going to help you more than anything else that happens. The place we most fruitfully and consistently meet the Holy Spirit is in the preaching of God's word Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Uh, can't guarantee a prophecy or a ministry time, but I can guarantee you this, these, these pastors are going to work hard every week to come and unpack God's word for you and apply God's word for you, and that is critical. John Piper says, uh, something is incredibly wrong when the words we hear outside scripture are more powerful and affecting to us than the inspired word of God. So as much as we love the, the experiences of the Holy Spirit, let us love and appreciate uh, the preached word even more. Um, last, uh, but not least, is um, that we would, we would just beware of chasing experiences, which again, if we're, if, if we're not careful, can happen in charismatic churches. Thomas Schreiner, who's a cessationist, uh, but wrote a, a really good book on the Holy Spirit. Uh, he used this term that I'd never heard before, eudaimonism, eudaimonism. And eudaimonism is the belief that God means us to spend our time in this fallen world feeling well and in a state of euphoria based on that fact. And I thought, that sounds good to me. I, I could go for that. I mean, how many of you? Yeah. Uh, but um, he goes on to say, the weakness of Pentecostalism, the charismatic movement, becomes apparent when they try to routinize the extraordinary. That is to make a it a regular part of daily living. Uh, here's the reality. Most of the Christian life is mundane and normal, isn't it? Most of our lives, we just get up in the morning and we, you know, get breakfast and hopefully read your Bible and pray and you go to work and you come home and you play with your kids and your kids, you know. Most of our lives, even the spirit-filled Christian life, for the most part, our, our days are, are, are pretty normal. Uh, we can't and we shouldn't expect to have our lives being moving from one dramatic and exciting spiritual encounter to the next. Um, miracles, by definition, they don't happen often. And so we, we want to make sure 
uh, that, that we're not looking at the Holy Spirit as uh, this supercharged Christian life where everything is always excited. That's why I think it's really important to emphasize the broad work and, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let's praise God when God meets us with spiritual gifts on Sunday morning to build up and strengthen uh, the church. But let's also praise God for all of the routine but no less important moments of life where he helps us to understand scripture or he just uh, helps us make it through the next day or encourages our souls uh, with, with his word. So uh, we, want, we want that proportionality in Sovereign Grace Church. We want to be intelligent. And then we want to be in practically engaged. This is the last point. We want to do it with persistence. Um, twice Paul tells us how to apply this passage and, and that is in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 31 earnestly desire the higher gifts 1 Corinthians 14 1 pursue love and so one of, one of the ways the simple ways we apply is to start pursuing the Holy Spirit and, and, and just praying asking him uh, for gifts to be manifest uh, in your midst, both yourself, use me, but use others uh, in the church to be a church that that understands uh, these gifts, understands how they're to be used in the context of the local church, and then begins experiencing those gifts. That's that's application number one. Another thing that I encourage people to do as well is is just actively seek to be a servant. You know, sometimes people puzzle over what gifts do I have. And I, I think if you find, if your heart is to serve, uh, then you're the kind of person that the Holy Spirit is going to use, that, that's going to give gifts to. So if you come to every meeting or every Christian experience just kind of passive, uh, just kind of, I'm, I'm just showing up, I wonder what's going to happen, um, you don't tend to be the kind of person that the Holy Spirit is, is, is going to use. Now, he can use anybody, um, but, but it's the people that come to meetings or to times of fellowship and think, God, I'm here. How can I serve? Is, is there something that you would have me do today? Is there a gift that you might have me use or experience today so I can serve others. I guarantee you, if you do that, if you come with that heart attitude, you're going to experience much of the Holy Spirit in your everyday church life, especially if you do that faithfully. Uh, if you just come to small group meetings and with your eyes and ears open, looking around, and, and is, is there someone discouraged? Is there someone with a need that I might pray for? Maybe God will give me a prophecy for him. So, um, eagerly desire and just actively seek to serve. Let me just leave you with this final encouragement that I, I, I just always want to come back to when I talk about this subject. And that is this, that our earnest desire for spiritual gifts is more than matched by God's earnest desire to give the Holy Spirit and gifts to his church. Um, I love uh, what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, and then this is the surprise ending. Nobody would have been expecting Jesus to say this at this moment. If, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much 
more. I love those three words. They're so critical. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So in responding to Paul's command to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, let us just close by knowing that as earnestly as you may desire these things, how much more does your heavenly Father, how much more does the Holy Spirit desire for you to experience these gifts so the church might be built up, so that he might be glorified, and so that Jesus' gospel mission may be taken to Clarksburg and throughout the world. Amen. Father, I just do pray, as Paul has called us to, that uh, you would just grant this church an eager desire, that you would stir a hunger and a desire in their hearts to experience you, Holy Spirit. Before any gift, um, before any experience, we want you. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just come and meet your people here. Fill them afresh. Uh, draw them to, to long for and to daily depend upon you, uh, to become familiar with you. And then just grant this church, grant individuals gifts so that they might be built up and strengthened for your glory and for their gospel witness. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.